Amen. Thank you for joining me in my celebration because it was this very weekend, Saturday, that I gave my heart to Jesus 53 years ago. Amen. <laughs> and I was baptized this day 53 years ago. You could take a seat. Isn't it wonderful to celebrate the greatest miracle that we'll ever experience in our lifetime is the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming and being a part of it today. You know, you honor the Lord when you come to his house, and you honor each other when you come. When I look around the room and I see faces, and sometimes I'll say the Dougie's over there, haven't seen them in a while, and, you know, see people. My heart gets encouraged that you've come out because we are the body of Christ, and we love God together, and it just encourages my heart to see you today. Well, in those 53 years of following Jesus, I've seen a lot of emphases. I've seen a lot of things come and go. And if you're cynical, you call it the flavor of the month. But not all those things are the flavor of the month. There are emphases in the Holy Spirit. There are times and seasons in God. And five decades of following him, I understand that. And there have been times where one thing has been more important or been the focus in our lives or in our congregation. And for us, where we grew up under Pastor Messer and Sister Noel there, um, praise and worship were a great emphasis. And during the uh, late 70s and into the 80s, there was a wonderful revelation and truth and teaching in the church about worshiping God. There was even whole seminars on worship, and, and our teams began to grow. And, you know, we come to a place today where we have a full band on a stage because let's, let's praise God with everything we have, right? You know, that's the reason for it. This isn't an entertainment factor, even though these guys are good. You know, we have some of the best people serving God, giving their gifts voluntarily. They don't get paid. They do this as unto the Lord, and they do it for you to help lead you in the worship of Almighty God, to give you a handle, a tool, something to use that you can praise God with. Those words on the screen are meant to inspire your heart to search and seek after God. And I pray every time something comes to you and an opportunity to do that, that you join in with all your heart. Now, I know some people were just kind of like, you know, the deer's in the headlight. What is this? I've never seen ch This is church? I thought this was a show. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. I, we want to honor the Lord with all that we do. And so we sense in 2024 that the Holy Spirit is breathing on this emphasis of worship and that this is a season where we are going to go deeper as a congregation in our worship. And I'm just going to scratch the surface a little bit today and bring you a word to hopefully set you up to have a mindset to go that way, that when you're in your private moments, in your devotional times, in your family times, and when you come to the house of the Lord, that you prepare yourself to truly worship the Lord, that you leave everything outside the door that could be distracting you mentally and emotionally, and you come into his house with God's people and experience his presence. This is wonderful. This is what we're to do. This is one of the reasons we gather together. And so I believe in 2024, God's going to give us more and more revelation. Now, as Pentecostals, some of you, some of you might notice around here, clap their hands, get a little bit excited. And we kind of express ourselves in that exuberant way that's like that. Is that necessary? Well, no, but it is biblical. And if you just read the book of Psalms and you look through other instances, they were radical worshipers in the Old and New Testament. People worshiped God with everything they had to, to give him. And so I'll say it again later, but let's give God our firsts and our bests. 
let's, when we come to the house of God, let's be prepared to truly worship him and give him what we have in our hearts. So what would happen if we actually went deeper in God with our worship? What might happen if we understand what it means to give that sacrifice of praise as an offering to God? What would happen if we felt convinced that this was our calling and part of us, what we're supposed to do as his people? What might happen? I'm going to bring you a message today that I entitle Radical Rejoicing. And I want to introduce to you the prophet Habakkuk. Now, how do you say his name? Habakkuk? Habakkuk? I could tell you in writing this message, I misspelled it about 14 times. And spell check has no idea. So what are you looking at? So I looked it up, and, and his name means embrace. He was a prophet with a burden for God's people. And the pronouncer says that you say it, Havakuk. Anybody want to have a go at that? No. All right. So I said it, done. Back to Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however. It'll probably say it several times different, but there you go. So Habakkuk was a watchman. And in Habakkuk 2, verse 1 and 2, he said, I will climb up on my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. He was a watchman for the people of God. And he was also probably a Levite and a musician because the end of chapter 3 talks about that it, this song that he gave to God, which we will read uh, was, on, uh, was on my stringed instruments, stringed instrument people. Okay, prophetic, prophetic. You can use that. And the book of Habakkuk is a dialogue between God and Habakkuk, a prophet. It's no speaking to the people. It's just him and God. And you've got this intimate conversation of what the Lord will say to me. And this was at a very critical time in Israel's history. This was just before they were going into the Babylonian captivity. And so there was a kingdom divided. Uh, Habakkuk was speaking from Judah. And they would be going into 70 years of captivity in Babylon. This was a judgment of God upon the people for disobeying his ways, both leaders and people alike. It was a severe dealing of God with the people. And when he's speaking these words, he knows that the invading armies are on their way. And so this is as bad as it gets. Have you ever had a day when it's as bad as it gets? Or a season in your life where you say, this is as bad as it gets. Well, we don't look for those things. We can't, we, but sometimes they come, and sometimes we have a sense that they're coming. And this is, this is where he was. This army would come through, would rampage the land, as invading armies would do. They would take every good thing of value and worth and leave the people with nothing and then carry a lot of the population off into captivity. And so he writes these words, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. They'll go up on the screen. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer and able to tread upon the heights. That's radical rejoicing. Did you get that? He's talking about all the impending doom, all that's going to happen. We are going to be a people desolate if we even get out alive. Yet, I will rejoice 
He is my strength, and so on. So this is quite a, a change, isn't it? Like, how would you, if you had that kind of news, would you have a, a reaction as good as him? I don't think I would. <laughs> but this was a man of God, and his spirit was on him and in him. And, you know, for us, we can be well aware of the situations that come our way. And I'm not saying that there are painful moments that we should ignore, but we have to be able to look up and beyond the circumstance, look up and beyond what is there, and see the God who is still there, who has never failed us, who has never stopped loving us, who will never forsake us. He is still there, and he is with us. This is bad, but God is good. And that is the key for radical rejoicing. So it may seem superficially that Habakkuk's, however we say his name, response was entirely inappropriate. He was well aware, and perhaps he used hyperbole. Maybe he over-exaggerated so you could see the vast difference. This is so bad. God is so good, and I'm going to maintain in that way. So no future fruit, no grapes on the vine, crops that would fail, and barren fields, no grain, and no flocks, no cattle, no flocks. And, you know, that wasn't just meat and hides, but that was like monetary worth, a wealth of a man was how large of a flock did he have? Because you could trade, you could sell. It was, it was everything. So to lose the flocks as well, it was bad. It was the basic products of an ancient economy. As bad, bad as it gets, but then he says, he's saying all these things, and then there's this pivotal word, this little tiny three-letter word, yet. Yet. A pivot point a already chosen response before the fact. This is going to happen, but yet this is my choice. This is how I respond. Do you know we have to have a strategy like that? We need a strategy in our lives for the hard times. We can't live with the foreboding sense that something bad would happen and I hope it won't happen and kind of hide away but say, even if the worst thing comes to me, this is what will happen in my heart. This is what I will do. This is how I believe. This is how I live. This is how I stand. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We can always choose our response, even in the worst situations. Always there is that little glimmer of God's grace. Sometimes it's like a pinpoint of light. But if you head through towards that light and follow through, you'll get through. You'll get out. I wrote a, a little piece during the pandemic when we were sending out things every week to people. And I remember being in this tunnel with Jack. It was an old train tunnel, and we were uh, riding on bicycles. And it, you went into total darkness in that tunnel for a while because it was a couple kilometer, am I right, tunnel? And all I could see after a while was nothing. And all I could hear was his bicycle tires. I could hear him breathing, and I just followed that because I was in darkness. It was actually frightening, you know. And then after a few minutes, there was this little pinpoint of light, the light at the end of the tunnel. And if you follow that light, and we followed that light, and pretty soon we're out in the beautiful sunshine once again. But life is like that. Sometimes we're in a dark tunnel, and we have to follow the pinpoint of light, of God's grace, of his word, of his truth, of his love. We need to follow out and not just, you know, respond in fear by crumbling, collapsing. So walk towards faith instead of fear. 
Walk towards forgiveness instead of hatred and bitterness. Walk towards the comfort of the Holy Spirit instead of carrying a spirit of heaviness. Walk towards the beautiful restoration that he will give to you instead of the ashes of desolation. It's not easy, but it's possible. So yet, it's like a but for me and my house. It's like, and suddenly God. It's that pivotal point, and don't miss it. Don't miss it because we need it to live by it. This is a submissive and determined, resilient faith, and better still, it is an exultant one. One that says, I will rejoice. I will be joyful. So the Bible is filled with all kinds of essential pivot points, and we must look for them on a steady basis. But Habakkuk's first declaration was, I will rejoice in the Lord. And this word, I'm not going to try to say either, but what a meaning it has. When I say he was exaggerating, when he says, I will rejoice, we might think, okay, I'm going to be happy and bright and smile. It means to be triumphantly joyful in the moment, not waiting till life is a good, but to leap about and to jump for joy. He's saying, I'm facing this, but I'm going to leap around and jump for joy. How inappropriate. <laughs> or not. Or not. When it's the heart full of faith, you see yourself as not being under the weight and the burden of everything that's come your way, but being on top of it, being able to dance and have joy in the Lord, which is your strength. It also means to exult. It's to show and to feel a lively or triumphant joy, to be highly elated and jubilant. How about it, all you happy, clappy people? Yeah? You've got permission. This is the word of God. So don't feel strange. Now, sometimes I know I feel awkward. I really work hard to clap on beat. Follow the drummer. Just follow that snare drum. When you hear that crack, that's where you clap. And if not, well, then just kind of move and groove. But do something that says, I am having joy in the Lord. Amen? <laughs> okay. And then the second declaration that Habakkuk made was, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. This word means to spin around under the strong influence of a strong emotion. To spin around, to be glad and be joyful. How many, if we just stood up and spin, said spin around, could do that? All the ballerinas could do it. I know the Parker family could do it. But the rest of us might just have to have a little spin like this. But it says, I am happy. And always go the other way so you don't get dizzy. <laughs> right? I'm having fun. I'm playing with this. But this is the imagery in our mind of great joy. Yet I declare, this is how I'm going to be. I'm not going to be down under this. I am not going to live in the fear. I am not going to be just shuffling through one foot after another trying to get through life. But I am going to rejoice. I am going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice not for rejoicing's sake. I'm going to rejoice in God, my strength, my Savior. I rejoice in God. I don't rejoice in this terrible situation. I rejoice in God. There's the key. So... You know, we move on. <laughs> we usually save that kind of joy for something good, but it is radical rejoicing to rejoice when something is not good, but to rejoice in God. Whatever the outcome, I believe God. So you may have never danced for joy like that, but I just want to read one of the many thousands, <laughs> no, hundreds of scriptures 
in the book of Psalms that talk about dancing. This is Psalm 30, verse 11 and 12. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Oh, let God take your sorrows. Let it carry your burdens. Lift the load off of your life and turn your mourning into dancing. Bring you to that place of joy in the Lord. How many have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? The older crowd probably, oh, some have, okay. He was uh, named the Apostle of Faith. He lived uh, between 1859 and 1947. Can you imagine the things that he saw in that period of time, if you know a little bit of history? And Lester Summerall, who was also a man of faith, when he was a young man, and Smith Wigglesworth was an old man, like in his 80s, he would visit him in his home in London. Uh, Lester Summerall lived for some time in London, and he would come every couple weeks and just visit him in his home. And so he says, one day I asked him, Brother Wigglesworth, how is it you look the same every time I come? Meaning he hadn't aged. How do you feel? He bellowed at me like a bull and said, I don't ever ask Smith Wigglesworth how he feels. I asked, how do you get up in the morning? He said, I jump out of bed. I dance before the Lord for at least 10 to 12 minutes, high-speed dancing. I jump up and down and run around my room telling God how great he is, how wonderful he is, how glad I am to be associated with him and to be his child. That's from an 80-something-year-old man. That's life well lived. Amen. How do you get up in the morning? <laughs> I dangle my feet over the edge of the bed and hope Jack will bring me coffee. <laughs> I don't know. There's a big, a big gap between what I do and what he does, but, you know, we could start. We'll, we'll start. <laughs> so back to Habakkuk. The worst day was upon him, but even though it was as bad as it gets, there was always the grace of God. And as we worship And when we enter his presence, we find that grace space. We find that place where the burdens start to drop off, where the heaviness starts to drop off, where we start forgetting about ourselves and our problems, and we just think about the Lord. And you know, that that takes, can I say, use the word discipline? It takes stopping all the thoughts that can come in our minds. You know, sometimes it's just nonsense. You know, did I turn the lights off on the car? Is the slow cooker on? You know, it's just stuff. And just put it out, and, or it could be the really heavy stuff. And we have to put it aside and say, I am just here to worship you, Lord. Amen. Find that place. Um, I read this quote. It said, faith or fear both require you to believe in something you cannot see. So let's choose faith. Let's choose to believe. Let's just believe that there is a God who is there, that he hears us, and that we can enter his presence, and he invites us, that he loves us, as Eric said so well. And that love of God should make a response in our heart, but we've got to come into his presence to sense that. Believe it by faith, and then enter his presence. And we'll talk a little bit more about feelings and so forth. But uh, Habakkuk also is well known for saying these words, in chapter 2, verse 4, but the righteous one will live by his faith, or it could be translated faithfulness. 
And I believe when we live in faith, it produces faithfulness in our lives. And the full, um, full life study Bible uh, said of this word, verse, here faith means a steadfast trust in God that his ways are right, a personal loyalty to him as Savior and Lord, and a moral steadfastness to follow his ways. We believe God is good, and so that we will decide to follow him no matter what. So like Habakkuk, you and I, we can predetermine our response. We can make some decisions now. It's good to make decisions before you're in the crisis, right? It is. It's good to have a pattern of thinking or even something written down that says, in case of emergency, open this page <laughs> and read this. But here's some decisions, okay? Number one, decide that you will not collapse in fear but will choose to have a quiet confidence in God who never fails. Decide that you will stay close to God and lean upon his grace and never blame him for your hardships. You could say things, Lord, like I already knew, you knew this was going to be happening, or how could you let this happen to me? No, don't go there. Just don't go there. Decide that you'll stay close and never blame him. Number three, decide that you will not isolate yourself, but stay close to people, friends, and family, and the church family. Decide to take positive steps to control the controllables. Then commit the rest of the circumstances to the Lord. We all feel like we have to do something in the middle of something. Well, do something. Do what you can do. But you can't do everything. And you have to leave it to God. Decide you will be a person who lives by faith and demonstrates faithfulness to God and others. I reckon that's something we can live by. Amen? So how do we deepen our worship of God? We're going to go through these pretty quick. Number one, faith over feelings. We read the justified will live by faith. And by faith, we have this confidence to come before God. Uh, we come knowing we have acceptance by him, that we are loved by him, and we can come to him. And so we can come like a child with childlike faith and enjoy his presence and be there. You know, our emotions are beautiful. They're wonderful. They're the spice of life. They enhance our life. They're wonderful, but they are not our guides of life. And if we live by emotion, especially uh, emotion that is negative, we're not going to be living by faith. So they're powerful, but they're not our guide. William Barclay wrote, faith means a total acceptance and absolute trust. It means betting your life that there is a God. It means being utterly sure that what God said is true and staking all time and eternity on that assurance. That's faith and faithfulness. And it's a, an emotional response to God's presence is welcome, but it's not necessary. I love it when the tears come. I love it when I sense God. I love it when I have the goosebumps, but they don't always come, and nine times out of ten, they don't. But my heart is after him, and I seek him, and I move towards him. And that brings me to another thing. Sometimes we're emotionally fatigued and have no emotions, and we wonder what's wrong with us, and where is God? Well, he's right there. He's never left you. And if you're faithful to him, you've never left him. And it always, always pleases God to practice faith. So even when we don't feel like praising God, let's radically rejoice and praise him anyway. And the Bible calls that the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. You know, a sacrifice in the Old Testament was something of worth and value that someone brought to God and gave it up to him. 
something that maybe they would have preferred to keep for themselves. But they didn't. They gave it to God. And sometimes we hold on to our emotions. Sometimes we hold on to our strength. And we say, you know, I don't have enough right now. I am empty. But how about that little bit you can give? You give it to God. Say right now, Lord, in this room, I am among the faithful. And I'm going to raise my hands in praise to you. Because I love you and I know you are good. You are a good God all the time. Sacrifice of praise, Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. By him, Jesus, giving thanks to him. Number two on how to deepen your worship and become a radical worshiper is focus your faith upon the Lord and upon his greatness and upon his character and immerse yourself in what the Bible says about him. You know, sometimes we lean on our own experiences or our own opinions that, that aren't exactly objective. Maybe, you know, we even teach on our encounters about the Father heart of God and how some of us can't even approach God and say, Father, because we have such a bad image have some memories, we have some trauma in our life. And God is not like earthly fathers. Praise God if you've had a good one. But he is a heavenly father who is perfect in all his ways. And we need to immerse ourselves in the truth of who he is and challenge the lies that might be in our hearts. And we need to develop a praise vocabulary by immersing ourselves in the word of God and what it says. And what do you do in those moments when the worship leader says, let's just all just praise the Lord on our own. And we go, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> what will you say in that moment? Get into your Bible and say, oh, Lord, you are altogether lovely. You are, you are worthy of praise. You are the God of all. You are the king of the earth. You know, and just begin to praise him with a vocabulary. So wrap your heart around the Psalms and look to focus your praise on the beauty of the Lord. And then move on to what he's done. Think about, some, not done just for you now, but what he's done for you for all of eternity. Start with our salvation like we began to praise God. Talk about how his hand is moving in the earth and we have seen his great works. And that's how David encouraged himself when he was on his very, very worst bad day at Ziklag. He remembered the good things of God and how good God had been. Psalm 111 verse 1 says, Shout praises to the Lord with all my heart. I will thank the Lord with his people when his people meet. The Lord has done many wonderful things. Everyone who is pleased with God's marvelous deeds will keep them in mind. Everything the Lord does is glorious and majestic, and his power to bring justice will never end. Deepen your love for God. How do you do that? I thought Eric put it so well. Respond to his love for you. Begin there and go that. But you know, sometimes we think we love God when circumstances go our way, and then we're a little bit pulling it back when they're not going our way. We love God by putting him first and giving him our best. We make him our priority every day of our life with our time, our energy, and can I say our emotions. And you can use your hardships to demonstrate to God that you love him and demonstrate to yourself that you love him, that you're not turning around and turning tail and running away from him, but you're running towards God and saying, Lord, this hurts. Lord, this is tough. Lord, this is bad, but I, you are good. And I throw myself on your mercy and your grace and I trust you. Wow, that's loving God. Amen. That is loving God in the deepest way. 
So we don't praise God when everything is good. We transcend everything by moving towards God with our faith. I want to read a quote by Matthew Henry. It's a long quote, so it'll come up on the screen, but I'm going to read just the second half for sake of time. He says, note, joy in God is never out of season. Nay, and you know, he lived a long time ago, so they said nay. It is a special manner of seasonable when we meet with losses and crosses in the world. Losses and crosses. Doesn't that ring true? In the world, that it may then appear that our hearts are not set upon these things, nor our happiness bound in them. Let's transcend our circumstances. Let's transcend the pain. Let's be radical rejoicers. Number four, understand that your life belongs to God and you are not your own to do as you please. And when you lay hold of this truth, then become not reactive and disagreeable, but move towards God in your most difficult situations, you will have the victory. We have to understand this whole teaching, we could teach months on what it means to be dead to self and alive to God. So don't be, self, be soft on your selfish nature because it will always want to control the situation. Don't yield to it, but put God first. I'm going to ask the team to come up to the, to the platform. Years ago, I do like to study history and the history of the church, and uh, our team is going to help us lead in the conclusion of this message. Uh, John Wesley and the Wesleyan movements, the Charles and John and the Methodist movement, they were amazing. They were great disciple makers. Uh, It's a different situation now. But the church that they founded, the movement that they founded, had people with a heart after God. And every New Year's, first Sunday of the New Year, they would, across all the congregations, everywhere that they met, they would pray a prayer that was a prayer of commitment. And I'm just going to read it. You can watch it up on the screen. I'm going to read it. Um, But it's powerful. And perhaps today you'll use this to recommit your life to Jesus. If you're a believer, maybe you've gone a little bit dry, a little cold. Use this to commit your life again to Jesus. And these are the words. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering, and that means patiently waiting. Let me be employed for thee, or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine, and I am thine, so be it. And that's powerful. The team here, did you sneak up? There you are, great. I'm going to conclude by reading, asking you to stand to your feet with me, and I'm going to pray. Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Would you lift your hands with me? Oh God, we come to you, your people called to be your own we're called to worship you in spirit and in truth and lord in this space today we commit ourselves afresh to you we are the people of god those that have been called out of darkness into light and we celebrate your goodness this day lord we put off self we put off those things that are inhibitions things that have clouded us and have kept us behind some facade and we say open-heartedly and greatly with all that we are 
that we love you, Lord. We are lovers of God. We are worshipers. And today we come to worship you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.